please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. John the Baptist was growing impatient, and it's hard to blame him. He had only done what the Lord had commanded him to do, proclaim that the day of the Lord is approaching, that the valleys should be lifted up, the mountains should be brought down, the people should repent and believe. And for all of that, he got tossed into prison, and a short time later, he would be beheaded. It's hard to blame John for growing impatient. He was expecting the Lord to come with judgment, and here it seemed like John was the one undergoing the judgment. Where does the Lord point him for patience? To the Scriptures. To tell John, he told his disciples to tell John, look at what I've been doing. I've been doing exactly what Scripture prophesied, what Isaiah prophesied. That the eyes of the blind would be opened, that the ears of the deaf would be unstopped, that the cripples would be healed, and Jesus came to fulfill that. And that is what John should have expected. And he should take patience in knowing that the fulfillment of prophecy is sure. And so should we. Jesus will return. He has kept every promise He has ever made. He will return. And if we trust that and patiently wait for His return, then we are even greater than John the Baptist. Matthew writes, While John was in prison, he heard about the things Christ was doing. He sent two of his disciples to ask him, Are you the coming one or should we wait for someone else? Jesus answered them, Go report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. As these two were leaving, Jesus began to talk to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and he is much more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Amen, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not appeared anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please join in singing our next hymn in 307 that's printed on page 6 in your worship folder. Please be seated.
Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from James, the book of James, chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, brothers, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the valuable harvest from the ground, patiently waiting for it, until it receives the early and late rain. You be patient too. Strengthen your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain about one another, brothers, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the doors. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering with patient endurance. See, we consider those who endured to be blessed. You have heard of the patient endurance of Job and have seen what the Lord did in the end, because the Lord is especially compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is coming soon. Is there anything harder for sinners like us to do than wait? And to do it well, to do it gracefully, to do it patiently? It's especially hard for children, especially this time of year, right? And it's hard to blame them if they grow impatient, right? I mean, the decorations, the trees, the lights have been up for a long time already. The mailboxes that are normally just filled with junk mail and bills are filled with glittery Christmas cards now. And these mysterious packages from Amazon keep showing up on the, on the front porch. It's hard to blame them for not getting excited, for not growing impatient for the day they know is coming. They see all the signs of it, they know it's going to be wonderful, and they just want it to be here now. It's not just children, is it? We all wait, and we all have a hard time with waiting. We have a hard time waiting in the drive-thru line at the fast food restaurant. We have a hard time waiting for test results from our doctor to come back. We have a hard time waiting to see family and friends again. We have a hard time waiting for everything. I think, for me, personally, the most frustrating wait is at the deli counter at the grocery store, right? It seems to take forever just to slice a pound of something. We all have to wait, and we all struggle with waiting. The good news is that today James encourages us as we wait for the most important thing of all, for the coming of our Lord, and he promises us this, that good things come to those who wait. Have you noticed that as you grow older, it's a little bit easier to not grow impatient for Christmas? You're not exactly counting down the days or the hours until Christmas is here. Why, why is that? Why is it easier as you grow older to be more patient for Christmas? Well, one reason might be because you know there's so much you have to do yet before Christmas arrives. You're almost praying that there would be more hours in the day, more days in the week, because there's so much to get ready for Christmas. Maybe it's because we know that Christmas never quite lives up to the hype. It never quite looks like that perfect Hallmark Christmas movie. Maybe it's because when you get older, instead of anticipating opening up some fun toy. You just get to open up another ugly sweater or maybe some compression socks this year. Maybe it's because as we grow older, we, we put Christmas in a little better perspective. It's not placed on this mountaintop like it is when you're a child, that you understand, you know, on December 26th, life resumes, life goes on. 
And having perspective is really what James is talking about here. He says that's the first key to waiting for the Lord. He says, therefore, brothers, be patient until the coming of the Lord. In other words, he's saying take the long view, not only on your life, but on eternity. The Lord is returning. And so it would do us well to consider what that day will look like. Matthew 25 gives us a very vivid summary of what that day will look like, where Jesus will sit on his throne in judgment and he will separate all of humanity into just two different groups, his sheep, believers on his right, and the goats, unbelievers on his left, and he will say to the sheep, come with me into the paradise that your father has prepared for you from the beginning of the world, and he will say to the goats, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his wicked angels. And on that day, the list of things that are truly important becomes very small, right? In fact, there's, on that day, only one thing will really matter. Only one thing will separate the, the sheep from the goats, and that is the presence or the absence of saving faith in Jesus. On Judgment Day, when Jesus returns, the only thing that will matter is your faith, or lack thereof. That's all that will matter. And having that perspective helps us to put our things and our lives in perspective now, right? All of the things that we obsess over that consume our time and attention, whatever it may be, our wealth, our health, our jobs, our careers, our children, whatever it may be, the things that consume our time and our energy right now you can kind of place them into one of two buckets right now, can't you? They're either something that helps your faith or something that hinders it. And so right now, you can assess your life in perspective of the last day and say, is this helping me towards the last day when Jesus returns where the only thing that will matter is faith? Or is this thing hindering my walk of faith as I wait for Jesus to return? Having that perspective is all important. Having that perspective of the end helps us put a proper emphasis on the things in our life right now. And having that proper perspective is, is what James continues talking about. He says we're kind of like farmers in this sense. He says, see how the farmer waits for the valuable har harvest from the ground, patiently waiting for it until it receives the early and late rain. I don't know if you know any farmers, but I think farmers have to be, and gardeners maybe a close second, have to be some of the most patient people on earth, don't they? When he refers to the early and the late rains in Palestine, they would anticipate an early rain in October, which would soften up the ground so that the farmers could prepare it, they could till it up and then plant their seed in it. And then they waited for another rain in either April or March or April, when as the, the plants were blooming, that, that water would, would produce the fruit, would fill the, the harvest and the heads with fruit and moisture. And they didn't have any control over it. As we well know, we don't have any control over the weather. And so the farmer learned patience. That doesn't mean that they were lazy. Certainly they worked very hard, but they understood that at the end of the day, after they were done planting, after they were done hoeing, that it was really up to the Lord. And they learned patience in that. They saw the perspective. They saw that the, the harvest would be worth it. But there wasn't anything they could do to speed up that process. 
If they started digging around their crops, they would end up ruining it. They understood they had to wait for the Lord's timing. And James says, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. We know the Lord will return. We know he will return because he promised it. We know he will return because he has never broken any of his promises. But we don't know when. He says according to his timetable, it is close. It is short. It is near. It certainly doesn't feel like that for us, does it? It certainly doesn't feel like it's been a short time for us, 2,000 years. But gain a little perspective. Just think about how as you age, you're not quite as eager for Christmas to get here because you have so much to do before then because you know it won't quite live up to the hype because you know that December 26th is coming too. Remember how that differs from, from being a child. And, and have that same perspective on our Lord's return. Because he is bringing good things. There are good things in store for those who wait with perspective. But waiting can tend to bring a host of other problems, can't it? You know, when children get off of school and they're all back home again, what happens? Oh, they get so antsy. They start picking on each other, bugging each other, bugging you. You just want to send them back to school or throw them out in the yard and go say, go play, go burn off all this anxious energy. But it can happen with all of us. Waiting is not easy. When you're waiting in line at the grocery store, you start to get annoyed by little things like somebody chatting or texting on their phone when they should be moving forward in line. Come on, get off your phone or, or waiting in line anywhere. Things can become very annoying. Does that happen to us here in the church? Do we get annoyed at each other for little things as we wait together for the Lord's return? James says it happened in his experience that the Christians he was writing to were tempted to complain about one another, to be antsy like children and start picking on each other. Well, what does that look like? Well, for all of us, maybe we can hold it in, we can restrain ourselves all day at work, and then we get home and we unleash on our family that impatience that's built up in ourselves. We unleash it on our family, the people who don't deserve it. Maybe in the church we understand what our mission is here. We understand that our mission is to proclaim the gospel to all creation. But we don't always agree on exactly how that should be done. And we get in these little fights, these little spats with one another over it. We each expect other people to be very patient with our failures and our weaknesses. But don't we tend to hold others, especially our fellow believers, to this unbelievable standard of perfection. And if they don't meet that standard of perfection, we're so quick to point the finger at them while we resent it when anyone would point a finger at us. Yes, it's easy for us to be like little children who are so anxious for our Savior's coming that we can begin to turn in on each other and fight against each other even as we're supposed to be waiting together. We can tend to tear each other down rather than build each other up. We can tend to harm 
our fellow believer's faith rather than help it. And James says this, he says, Do not complain about one another, brothers, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the doors. We might consider this grumbling to be minor, and maybe it is. I don't know, maybe when you get into the car and you mutter something under your breath about what he said or she said or didn't say or what they did do or what they didn't do, maybe you consider that minor, but the Lord doesn't. He says, do not complain about each other because the judge is at the door. And you can kind of imagine what that's like, right? If you're a grandparent and you're traveling to to see your grandchildren, the last thing you want when you open up that door is for your grandchildren to be at each other's throats, right? To be fighting. You'd be tempted to walk right back out to your car and head home. Well, the Lord Jesus is coming and He doesn't want to see us at each other's throats. He doesn't want to see us fighting or complaining or groaning against each other because uh, two bad things about groaning, about grumbling, about complaining against each other. When we're doing that, we're really kicking Jesus out of His place as judge, aren't we? I am becoming the judge of you. Or you are becoming the judge of me. And that's not our place. The other thing is, when we're constantly focused on the shortcomings and the weaknesses of others, what are we not focused on? We're not focused on Christ, which is where we should be focused, where we should be looking. Patience is a rare virtue, as we all know. But if it's so rare, how do we come by it? If we're supposed to have it, where do we get it? Well, I might sound like a broken Lutheran record when I say this, but we get it from the law and from the gospel. James summarizes it like this. He says, the judge is standing at the door. Think about that. The judge is standing at the door. How many times this week, this month, this year should the judge have busted through those doors, grabbed you by the throat and thrown you into hell for your impatience, your moaning, your complaining, your groaning, your covetousness, your lustfulness, your greed? How many times should he have broken down those doors and cast you away from his presence forever? Did he? Your presence here proves that he did not. He has displayed an unbelievable amount of patience with each one of us. Knowing that, how can we not be patient with each other? You see how I say that patience comes from law and gospel? It it means considering every day what you deserve and what instead God has given you in His grace for Jesus' sake. That's why we need to be in the Word. The Word is where our patience is fed. Because in the Word, in places like Psalm 103, you hear about the judge. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our guilty deeds. As distant as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our rebellious acts from us. If we understand that our God, the judge, has been patient with us despite the enormity of our sin. How can we not be patient with each other given that in comparison, these are just specks 
while we have a log in our eye. That these are so minor. These things that we get so annoyed with each other over are so minor in comparison to the, the mountain of sin that God has forgiven us. And Jesus isn't testing our patience by not returning today. He is actually exercising extreme patience with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. So wait with patience, because good things come to those who wait. Finally, waiting demands perseverance. James writes this too. He says, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering with patient endurance. See, we consider those who endured to be blessed. You have heard of the patient endurance of Job and have seen what the Lord did in the end, because the Lord is especially compassionate and merciful. When you consider the Old Testament prophets, it's hard to think of even one of them that didn't undergo persecution or suffering in some sort, in some fashion. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Moses, all of them, they suffered persecution in some form, but the one that James chooses to focus on is Job. Job, who was considered the most righteous man in the world at his time, And yet the Lord allowed Satan to take everything away from him. His wealth, his children, eventually his health. Everything was taken away from him. And yet in spite of that, Job persevered. You know, to make matters worse, Job's wife tempted him to curse God and die. And when Job's friends came to console him, they they said in many words, Job, you really done something pretty bad to deserve this kind of treatment from God. But in spite of it all, Job persevered. He confessed the truth. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. The name of the Lord be praised. That is the example we are to follow. No matter what kind of persecution, no matter what suffering comes into our lives, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And He remains the Lord and His name shall be praised. I think the hard part for us here in 21st century America is is putting our finger on on what suffering and what persecution we actually experience, right? Um, we, We can freely worship. You didn't have to come through any police checkpoints to get in here to worship your God and Savior. I find it interesting, you know, um, baptismal sponsors, you know where that concept came from, was the early church where Christianity was outlawed, and in order for someone to be brought into the church where they would worship in secret, um, somebody had to verify that this wasn't a secret government agent who would then turn over the names of everyone gathered there so that they could be killed or imprisoned. Um, So a a sponsor for baptism was someone who vouched for someone else to get them into their secret worship meetings. We don't need that. I'm not really too concerned that any of you are secret government agents and you're going to turn over the names and identities of everyone here to the government and then you'll be imprisoned. I think we can talk about Jesus freely with our families and our friends, right? They may not like it and they may not want to hear it, but I don't think they're going to throw us into a cistern. I don't think they're going to drive us out of town for simply talking about Jesus. I don't think any of you fear that you're going to lose your jobs if someone finds out you're a Christian as 
they have in other places and other lands. Now, none of that is to say that that's not coming, that that's not on the horizon. I think it might be. I think within my generation or the generation of our children, we might be facing a time in America where there are some things you cannot say. Where I cannot, or I would not be allowed to freely stand up here and say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. I see not too far in the future that that is on the horizon where that will be considered banned hate speech. And I think you sense that too. But we don't face that yet. So what, what suffering, what persecution do we have to persevere under? And I think Job's confession maybe helps us put a finger on it, right? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Maybe the Lord has given us an unchristian, atheistic, immoral boss or co-workers who, who resented whenever we try talking about Jesus, whenever we try inviting them to a worship service. Maybe, maybe the Lord has given us a, a wayward, rebellious child who has walked away from the faith and it breaks our heart every day to think about them. And we miss them. Maybe the Lord has given us a spouse who doesn't believe what we believe. And every Sunday is a, a challenge because we know we want to come to church and, and they don't. But maybe the Lord has taken something away. Maybe He's taken away a spouse, a parent, a child. Maybe He's taken away your vision or your hearing or your mobility. Maybe He's taken away your hope or your wealth or your job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away and it's hard to persevere through those things. How do we do it? Well, Joe, or James tells us, right? He says, look back to the prophets of old and everything that they endured. You know, Jeremiah did get thrown into a well. Isaiah, according to tradition, was stuck inside of an empty log and sawed in half. Daniel, we know, got thrown to the lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into a fiery furnace. And yet, the Lord proved faithful to each of them. He was there for them every minute of their lives, and eventually He came and He saved them. We persevere too because the Lord is coming to us even here and now through this, the Word and sacraments to tell us He hasn't given up on us, that He is still with us. That even though we deserve to have Him storm through those doors, grab us by the throat and throw us into hell, He comes to us instead here through these means of grace and says, I forgive you and my love is with you. And you walk through those doors with my blessing. We persevere because we know that when Jesus comes, He's going to be bringing very good presence with Him. The unbelieving world will finally receive what it's due in His justice. You will receive the hope of your faith that is the salvation of your soul. You'll be reunited with all of those believers that have gone before you, your loved ones that you have lost, that still have left a hole in your heart. You will be re reunited with them and you will be made whole. It's good to wait. And we're able to persevere because we know that when the Lord returns, he will, be, he will be coming bearing very good gifts. It doesn't mean that waiting is easy. It's not. Whether you're seven or you're 70, waiting is not easy. 
But put it in perspective. Put your life right now in perspective. The only thing that will matter when Jesus returns is whether you have faith or not. Consider your life in view of that. Take the long view. Be patient. Be patient with each other. Be patient with me. I need that. Because the Lord has been incredibly impatient uh, patient with each of us. And persevere. Because you know that even though it may get harder, it will get better. The Lord will return and wipe every tear from our eyes. Good things come to those who wait. Amen.